What's up? Y'all doing all right? Y'all cold? Y'all thought it was summertime. God didn't turn the AC on outside for us. Welcome to Connection Church. If it's your first time here, I want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, I know we have a few first-time guests. Let's celebrate them real quick. Welcome to Connection Church. Uh, so glad you're here. Uh, we exist to connect people to a growing relationship with Christ. My name is Blake. I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here and uh, so thankful to serve this morning in this way. Uh, one quick announcement. Uh, connection students, our student ministry, middle school, high school, uh, this summer we're going to be going to a, a student camp, student life camp uh, in Myrtle Beach for a week. Uh, awesome time to get away with the students and talk about Jesus and just get away from here and get in an environment where, man, there's a bunch of other students who love Jesus, right? Or at least say they do. Uh, $450 is what it costs to get a ticket to go. A lot of our families have multiple kids, brothers and sisters. That's a lot of money to be paying, and some just don't have the funds. And so that's an awesome opportunity uh, for you to use your generosity. If you want to sponsor a student, talk to me uh, after the service. I'll be out front. You can sponsor a whole student for 450 You can do half uh, of that or even just any donations, man. We really appreciate it. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, grab your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Why chapter 8? Because we were in chapter 7 last week. And we're going to be in chapter 9 next week. And what we really want to do is just go through the Bible and let it bear its weight on us and say, you know what, this is God's Word, every bit of it. And God's going to give us what we need when we need. And we're just going through the Bible and we're going to let God speak to us. And so we really put the Bible up here. And instead of us choosing what we want to preach, when we want to preach, we put the Bible here and submit to it. And so welcome Welcome to church. We're, we're preaching chapter 8 because we're in chapter 8. I want to pray for us, and we'll jump in. Let's pray. God, I just love you, and I thank you for this church and your people, and I thank you for your word and your spirit, and God, just being here just stirs me up, and I, I'm just thankful for that. Uh, I pray in this time you would use your word and your spirit to really speak to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I uh, don't know about you, but I know about me when I got saved uh, after I got saved, I started having a lot of questions. Man, how, how does life work? I knew that God forgiven me from my past, but how am I supposed to live in the present? And I had a lot of questions. Man, is, is it okay to listen to secular music? Uh, can I get a tattoo? Uh, is watching rated R movies sinful unless it's Passion of the Christ? Because that's rated R. I mean, what... What do I do here? Is it okay for girls to wear bikinis at the beach? Or is it okay to have an alcoholic beverage if I'm saved? What about the topics that the Bible doesn't specifically talk about directly? What about the gray areas? Because it really matters how I live my life. How I live my life matters, and I'm a reflection to Jesus, to the world. But man, what, what's right? What's Wrong, And we land in a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where there's a gray area. And man, they didn't know really what to do about it. And so they did what everybody does. They reached out to the pastor. Pastor Paul, hey, what do we do in this situation? And I'll explain the situation. But 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1, and here it goes. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. How many of y'all struggling with that? Anybody sacrificing food to idols? Anybody? Praise God, right? I hope not. But, but man, it was common in that culture 
to, to idol worship, to worship idols, to worship, worship statues. And what they would do is they would get, get meat and they would feed their gods or they would sacrifice their meat and to their idols. But how many of you know that statues can't eat? And so they can't eat. And so they'd be leftover meat. And what they would do is they would take this meat and then get it, put it into the supermarket and then sell it for like 50% off. That's a freaking deal, baby. I mean, that's a deal. That's a deal. And so what happens, you got uh, mature believers, you got these Christians, they ain't worried about no idols. They know there's only one God. And they'd be like at a grocery store and be like, yeah, baby, this is 50% off right here. Let me get this. And they'd be medium rare. But what, they'd be eating their steak. And then you got some other believers like, oh, my God, you're eating that? That, that was in the idol temple like a month ago. That was me. I was worshiping idols and sacrificing food. And so they were going back and forth. And one side's like, man, this ain't sinful. Leave me alone. I'm free in Christ. I do what I want to do. I ain't, I ain't doing nothing sinful. And then the younger believers are like, man, this is messed up, and it's causing some problems. And they asked Paul, what do we do about this situation? And Paul, Paul's answering, and here he says, he says, we, know that all, that we all know that we possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Truth without love is useless, and you can be right the wrong way, and to be right the wrong way is to be wrong, and he's dealing with a braggalicious bunch. Man, they are puffed up. They, they love the Word. They know their Scriptures, but listen, being right isn't always right. Now, do, it's always right to do what's right, but being right isn't always right. You can be right the wrong way, and these mature believers are like, man, it's not sin, and they, they know this. But man, they're not thinking about their brother. They're not thinking about their sister in Christ. And so here's what he says. Verse 2, he gets sarcastic. Those who think they know do not know as they ought to know. And he's being sarcastic. Truth isn't supposed to elevate us and bring selfishness. Truth's supposed to make us more like Christ. And so when you grow in truth, you should shrink in selfishness and become more like Jesus to other people. Verse 3, but whoever loves God is known by God. And Paul says it's important to know things, but it's more important to know that God loves you. And it's more important to know the gospel. And what's he say to his disciples? Don't rejoice that spirits submit to you. Don't rejoice in spiritual gifts. Rejoice that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what matters the most. Knowledge is important, but not if it puffs up and doesn't make us more like Christ. And so verse 4, So then, about eating food, sacrifice to idols. We know you should highlight that. We know. We know what? We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. And there's only one God. There's no God but one. And I would just say amen. There is only one God. Abraham's God is my God. And Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And if not Jesus, then who else? And if not Calvary, then where else? And if not Christianity, then what else? Our God is one. And he says, we know this. We know this truth. Verse 6, he says, or verse 5, he says, there's many, if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there's many little G-gods. 
and there's many little L lords. And there is. We live in a world of idols. There's plenty of idols in your life and my life that try to climb up on the throne of our heart. And, and, and Paul says there's many idols, but there's only one God. He says it right here, verse 6, yet for us, there's only one God, the Father whom all things come from and for who we live. And there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ, through who all things came and through who we live. Yes, we know there's only one God, and that God's the God that made cows, which meat come from, and we eat. We know this, and we know that there's no other real gods. But then he says this, verse 7, but not everyone knows this. Not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to their idols or to their past sin that when they eat sacrificed food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, since they're not mature enough, since they don't know what we know is defiled, what might, be, what might not be a problem for you might be a problem for somebody else. What might not be a problem for me might make another brother stumble or another sister stumble. And listen to me. He says in verse 8, for food does not bring us near to God. Food doesn't bring us near to God. Knowledge doesn't bring us near to God. Your freedoms and liberties doesn't make you more spiritual and bring you more to God, but loving God and loving people. Food doesn't bring you near to God. Where are my vegetarians at? Any vegetarians in here? Nobody. Praise God. All right, where are my meat eaters, steak eaters? Get your hands up. Let's go. Okay. All right, all right. Medium rare. Where are you at? My people. My people. Anybody do rare, just any rare, stop it, stop it. That's it's too much, it's going too far. But man, he's saying, listen, food don't bring you any closer to God, whether you eat this or don't eat this. Your liberties don't make you more spiritual, more knowledge. Your knowledge is puffing you up. What really matters is you know that God loves you, and listen, you live by the gospel. And so here's what he says in verse 9, be careful. We boast in God's grace alone because God, God drew near to us. We don't work our way to him, and it's through the gospel that we live. And so just because you have the right, don't make it right. Be careful. He doesn't say don't do it. He doesn't say never eat meat again. He says be careful that the exercise of your rights don't become a stumbling, stumbling block to the weak. Be careful. Verse 10, for if someone with a weak conscience sees you, if another brother or sister sees you with all your knowledge eating, if they see you eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? What you might do for God's glory and what you might do in moderation might make another brother stumble into sin. And you say, well, I don't care what they think. You better care because watch this. He's about to lay it out for us. Verse 11 so this weaker brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And so when you sin against them in this way and wound their conscience, you sin against Christ. And so you better be careful when we make decisions, we better make them with God in mind and we better make them through our brothers and sisters and other people in mind. Verse 13, therefore, out of a response of what Jesus has done for you, and out of a response of the gospel, Paul says, if what I eat, and I would just say, if what I drink, if what I wear, if what I post, 
If what I watch, if what I snap, if what I speak causes my brother or sister to fall in sin, I'll never do it again so that I will not cause them to fall. And I love Paul's heart. He says, listen, gospel above everything. Gospel above food, above drinking, above politics, above fashion. Gospel above all. And I want to point out just a few things in this passage, the service this morning. And the first thing we see is what I call an honest question. The Christian life is a life of questions. And I hope you're asking questions. God, do you, is this right? Is this wrong? How should I live? Should I do this? Should I not do this? A church that's on fire is a church that seeks God, and a church that seeks God is a church that's asking questions. God, what do you think about this? What do you say about this? How does the Christian life work? They said, how does sex work? And Billy talked about that. How does marriage work? And Billy talked about that. In a few weeks, how do spiritual gifts work? We're going to talk about that. But this morning, their main question is, what do we do with our freedoms in Christ? And what does that even mean? Because freedom to us is do what I want, when I want, with who I want, where I want. But that's not freedom. Gospel freedom is walking in what you were created to walk in, to know God, love him, make disciples, and love other people. The gospel does free us, though. And there ain't nothing better than being free. Ain't nothing freer than being free. On the count of three, say free. One, two, three. And I'll never forget when I got free. And I'll never forget when God broke my chains. And I've, I've been free. And it frees me from sin. Uh, Romans 6, 18, you've been set free from sin. But to righteousness, not saved by works, saved to good works. You're free from your past sin. You're, it's gone. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in sin, but because of God's great love for you, not your great love for him, his great love for you, his grace sets you free. And now God's never going to place sin back on my account because I put my faith in Jesus. He takes my sin as far as the east to the west. And you can measure from the North Pole to the South Pole, but you can't measure east from the west. And it frees us from our shame. I love Romans 8.1. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're covered. And there's no more condemnation because Christ covers me. And as Adam and Eve run in their shame and cover themselves up, I'll stand bold before the Lord and bold before this world because there ain't nothing that you can uncover about me that the blood of Jesus don't cover for me. And I'm covered. And I don't have to put myself in chains by the opinions of, of other people, but I will live by the book, and I will love God, and I will think about other people when I make my decisions in life. I'm fully known yet fully loved, and I don't have to hide. I'm free from sin. I'm free from shame, and I'm free from the law. Romans 8, 2 through 3. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law's powerless to do, Christ did for us, and I'm free. I'm free from this hamster wheel called religion that I just run and get nowhere. I can stop, watch this, I can stop trying to earn my grace earn his grace by my performance. I drop my scorecard. I look at the cross, and now I don't earn his grace. I start living in the grace that he already gave me in Christ. 
And I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free from sin, I'm free from shame, I'm free from having to earn his approval. He's already approved me. He covers me with his blood when I put my faith in him and his works. Now everything that I do, I do for his glory because I may be free in Christ, but I'm a slave to him now. I am not my own. He purchased me with the blood of the Son, and I live my life for his glory. Listen to me. Whether you eat, whether you drink, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 10:31, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Galatians 2, 20 through 21. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of Man who gave himself for me. I don't set aside grace. I don't set aside grace. I walk in grace. I make gospel decisions. When I live, I live for his glory. When I eat, I eat for his glory. If I drink, I drink for his glory. Everything I do, I do for his glory. But what some people can do for his glory other people can't. What some people, where some people are strong, other people are weak. And so that's the problem in 1 Corinthians 8. You got mature believers who know the gospel. They're strong in their faith. They know there's only one God. And they don't see a big deal about a piece of meat. They're like, give it to me. I ain't sinning. I'll do this for the glory of God right here. But then you got immature new, new believers or people that's not strong in the faith that's looking at that, or they just got a bad past with that, yo. Like, man, I remember doing some bad things with that. And there's, there, man, it's breaking fellowship, and they're being a stumbling block. And so they're saying, what do we do? Because one side's so passionate about their freedoms, and the other side is so passionate about their experiences and their sin, and it's causing friction. And they say, what do we do? And what does Paul say? He doesn't say, we're making it a dry county. Get rid of the meat. No more meat. That ain't what he does. But he also don't cut back no slack. And he says, listen, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, and you're living for yourself and not the gospel and not other people. And so he gives a gospel answer for, uh, to the gospel answer. This is what he points them to. And I want you to write this down. Truth without love is useless. Truth without love is useless. He says it right out the gate. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And you can't have one or the other. You gotta have both because being right the wrong way is to be wrong. And when you love being right more than you love your brother and sister and neighbor, that's when being right becomes being wrong. And you gotta be careful. I want you to write this down. Here's the answer. Knowledge plus gospel love equals the right answer. Knowledge plus gospel love for God and for others is the right answer. Knowledge without love puffs up. And your head may grow bigger, but your heart gets smaller. But listen to me, knowledge with love builds up. And that's why he starts talking about love in chapter 13. And here's what he says about love. He says, true love is patient and it's kind. It doesn't boast, it's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, no, no record of wrongs. Listen to me, it protects it trusts, 
it hopes, it perseveres. Love never fails. But watch this, here's what he says. Prophecies, they're gonna cease. Tongues will be stilled. Knowledge will pass away. Knowledge alone isn't enough. I remember taking some of the college students to Passion Conference, college conference in Atlanta, and we were walking on the side while headed to this Christian conference, and there's the bullhorn guys, and they're just, just yelling at everybody, repent or you're going to hell. And I'm like, bro, you're probably going to hell because you don't know what you're talking about. And we're, we're, we're at a Christian conference, and, and here's the thing, their content isn't wrong. But their heart is, because they don't love these people. They're just, their, their content's right, but their heart is wrong. They're being wrong the right way. And you can be wrong the right way with doctrine or with your freedoms and your liberties and living how you want and enjoying life. You can be right the wrong way. So listen, you need to write this down. Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. We're a forgetful people. You ever read the Old Testament and you read the Old Testament and, and you look and you're like, man, what is wrong with these folks? Like that God parts the Red Sea and they go through and it's like three months later, they're like worshiping a golden calf. And you're like, are you serious? But is that not us? Is that not us? We forget so easy. And listen, we need to remember, watch this, how Jesus used his liberties and how Jesus used his freedoms because we have a glorious Jesus and this is what we love most about our Jesus is that he used his freedoms to serve us. Philippians 2, one through seven, therefore since you have encouragement with being united with Christ and since you have his love and since you have his spirit, listen, be like-minded, be one in spirit, do nothing out of selfish ambition, value others above yourself, don't look to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Have the mindset of Christ. Listen, he emptied himself out and made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant. And remember how Jesus used his freedoms and liberties to serve you. He did it to serve you, not himself. Remember Jesus' prayer, John 17. He prayed to the Father. He said, Father, make them one as we are one. I care about the church and them being united. And listen to me, we got to learn to live in the shadow of the cross, in the shadow of what Jesus did for us because it's in the shadow of the cross you remember how sin gripped you. It's in the shadow of the cross you remember how God loves us. It's in the shadow of the cross where we find life and it's in the shadow of the cross where we learn to live our life and we remember who we are and we remember what we're called to, not our own glory, but the glory of God to bring people to him, not be a stumbling block from him. And so when you make decisions in your life every single day, write this down, make gospel decisions. Make gospel decisions. I love verse nine. He says it. He says, be careful. Then just be careful. How you live your life, be careful that the exercise of your rights and freedoms don't be a stumbling block to the weak. We want to be tools of grace that build people up, not tear them down. We don't want to be a stumbling block. I love verses 12 through 13. He says, listen, when you sin against them, man, you sin against Christ. And Paul says, therefore, man, if I'm going to make someone stumble, 
I'll never eat again. I'll never drink again. I'll never post that again. I'll never Snapchat. I'll never do that again if it's going to make somebody else stumble. We live out of response of the gospel. That's why saved people live sent. Because he was, he was sent for us, we'll live sent for him. That's why served people serve other people. That's why the gospel produces generous people. It's the gospel we learn how to live, how to be a husband, how to be a wife, how to be a mom, how to live the Christian life, how to love our neighbors, how to do things. It's in the gospel. We make gospel decisions. But listen, how do you make them? What does it look like? What does that even mean? Well, here's some questions to ask when you're making decisions. Does what you're about to do glorify God? Does it glorify God? You can live your life by that question right there. Is what I'm about to do gonna glorify God? And can you say, it says it, eat or drink for the glory of God. But can you say, if this decision I'm about to make doesn't glorify God, then God, I don't wanna do it. Can you say that? Well, how do you know if it glorifies God? Answer these questions. Is a decision you're about to make sinful? We're Bible literalists. The Bible says it, that settles it. We're going to do what the Bible says. And so it don't, it don't matter how convicted I am of something if the Bible says it, it ain't right. And so that's not going to glorify God. Is it sinful? An, another question is like, man, is a decision you're about to make break the law? I'll tell you what my wife don't do for the glory of God. She don't drive her car for the glory of God. She drives that thing for Satan himself. It's like, my God, why are we going 70 miles an hour? We're in the driveway. You know what I mean? But man, is it against the law? What, what, watch this. What's the motives behind your decisions? Are they pure motives or are they selfish motives? But are you thinking about God? God cares a lot about the why behind the what. When you make your decision, why are you doing this? What, why are you about to make this decision? Ask these questions. Another is, man, does it love my neighbor? Does it love my neighbor? I love verse 13. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again if it hurts my neighbor. Listen, you got to remember the mission. God has called you to be a missionary in the culture he's placed you in. And it's not that you're not going to go to another culture like Bo and Lauren and reach to engage, but you're here. Like, I didn't ask God to live in Vidalia. I just woke up here. This is where I'm at. He sovereignly put me here. And there's times where it's like, bro, I wish I could live somewhere else so I could enjoy this freedom and it not be a big deal. But I'm here. And so I don't have no input. And I love these people. And I love my city. And I love my church. And, man, I got to make my decisions based on that. And, and am I willing to say no to my freedoms for the sake of the gospel? Are you even willing to say no? You know what? I know I'm free to do that, but I ain't going to do that because this ain't going to look good in front of other people. I'll do this somewhere else some other time. This ain't the time. This ain't the place. Can you say that? Oh, what about this? Is it keeping in step with the Spirit? The Holy Spirit is with every believer everywhere all the time. You're never alone. And how would that change your decisions if you walked in that awareness? Like, man, like, like, watch this. Like, what is God telling you personally? What's he telling you? So I worried about everyone else. What's he telling you? Because, listen, you're made in the image of God, and you got a conscience, and you've had a conscience since you was born because you're made in the image of God. My dog don't have a conscience. If he takes a dump on my couch, he don't care. Like, he, he's not worried about it. He's not going to pray about it and repent. 
He might be scared I'm going to spank him. That's it. He's not made in the image of God, but you got a conscience. And watch this. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit's in you, and the Holy Spirit uses your conscience. And the Holy Spirit uses God's Word and uses your conscience. And listen to me. Man, you, you know these things. Listen to me. Um, where, where are you strong and where are you weak at? Where are you strong where are you weak? You know where you're strong and weak at. And don't fool yourself. Like, man, I, I'm not above sin. I'm not above anything. But I'm not too weak when, when it comes to drugs. I'm not, I'm not going to put myself in a bad situation. But like I can witness to someone or be, be around it. I'm, I'm not too worried, but I'm strong. But man, I, I was wounded when I was younger when it comes to lust. I ain't getting Snapchat. Ain't nothing wrong with it. I ain't getting it. Because I love my wife and I love my kids and I love my God and I don't trust. But I just got to stay away. I got to make some gospel decisions. That might not be you, but that's me. You need to know where you're strong, and you need to know where you're weak at. God can be convicting you of something that he's not necessarily convicting me of in the moment. And he lives in you. And so listen to me, man. Are you in the Bible daily? Man, the Bible is daily bread. And that's where the Spirit speaks through. And if you're going to make gospel decisions, you've got to know what decisions to make. You've got to be in the Word. I have a friend that was in a small group, and he was complaining about his job, and he was, he was complaining about some decisions he had to make, and he called his wife, and he was complaining to her. And, and she said, have you even prayed about it? He said, no. Nah. And she said, well, why are you calling me for it? And it hung up. Well, you need to talk to God. Like, ask God. Seek God on it. And be in the Word. Are you in community? Man, God speaks through other people. He speaks through people in small groups. You ain't got to be in this small group, but be in a small group. You need some friends in your life that love you, your soul more than your opinion. You need some friends in your life that, man, you can go to that's going to tell you, hey, man, this ain't probably good, bro. This ain't good. Man, you got to get in community. Man, if you ain't in a small group or you ain't in community, man, ball up your fist, man. Put yourself in the nose. What you doing? You got to get in there. That's where it's happening, man. It's, it's through the Word. It's through community. And listen, remember where you're strong and where you're weak. And so for the rest of our time, I just want to walk through some applications for us. And some of these are topical, but they have everything to do with this passage that we're in and in the culture that we're in. And so, man, these are some awesome topics. These are some great questions. Like when you get saved, you probably start asking these questions naturally. And for some of us, you've been lied to. For some of us, man, no one's ever answered these questions for you. And I, I'm not perfect, but we're going to go through and we're going to talk about it. But before we ask these questions, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24 says this. I have the right to do anything, you say. Not sin, but Paul's saying, you're saying you got the right to do anything. But here's what Paul says. But ain't everything beneficial? You're saying you got the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And so I want to go through some topics, hot-button topics of our day. And, man, some of this has, man, divided the church over these topics and these issues. But here we go. Y'all pray for me. Here we go. Uh, these are real topics. So the first is, man, how should a Christian view alcohol? Now, we'll go out with a bang right here. Just start off with a bang. How should Christians view alcohol? Man, how should we view? Well, I want to teach you how to make gospel decisions. And I want to teach you the way you need to be thinking when you're making decisions. And so it really don't matter what you think. And it really don't matter what I think. It really don't matter what my experience is. And I'm not, experience does matter, but it don't matter over God's word. And so, man, we, we've got to let the word shape our view. And when the Bible talks about alcohol, man, it gives a lot of positives, 
and it gives a lot of negatives. Even though the negatives ain't necessarily the alcohol except for the person using it in sinful ways and in their sin. And so here, here's a few. Here's some positives. Ecclesiastes 9.7. Eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. Uh, John 2. Jesus' first miracle. He turned water into... All right, I didn't hear no one say grape juice. All right, y'all said wine. And we all got that grandma. You know what I mean? You know what grandma taught you. Boy, it was grape juice. Well, well, grandma, you can't get drunk off grape juice. When it says don't get drunk with wine, it meant you can get drunk with wine. When Noah got off the ark and planted a vineyard and got drunk in sin, he got drunk in sin. And so listen, Jesus didn't want anyone to sin, didn't approve of anyone sin, never approved of drunkenness. But man, he pretty much bartended away. I mean, he turned water into wine. John 2, uh, Psalm 104, 15. Wine gladdens the human heart. Matthew 26, 29, Jesus says, I'll never drink from the fruit of the vine with you again until I do new in my Father's house. And so we got some positives. But listen, we got more negatives than positives all through Scripture, all kind of negatives. Here's negatives. Listen, Ephesians 5, 18, do not get drunk with wine, period. Boom. There's your answer. There's no, it's not even really a gray area. It's, it's black and white. Oh, watch this. Galatians 5.21. Those, the people, those who live in drunkenness will not inherit the kingdom. You're living in drunkenness, you're probably in sin. It's probably not the alcohol that's the problem. It's probably the sin. The gospel needs to enter your life. All right, well, what about Isaiah 5.11? Whoa, be careful. Caution. Uh, don't do it to those who rise early and run after their drinks. And you need to know the scriptures. And you can't add to or take away. But there's, man, there's positives, but there's a lot of negatives that have to do with drunkenness. And so listen to me. You also got to know who you are. Who are you? And I just want to serve you here. And so here's some people that might be in the room this morning. First, you got the underage drinker. Underage, they're, uh, under, they're not 21 yet. This person isn't very interested in glorifying God with their drinking. This person just struggles when they get around certain crowds and certain friends, and they fall under the pressure of what their friends are doing. And so here's the problem. One is you're breaking the law, which is sin in God's eyes. Two, if you're willing to disobey God by breaking the law, you're definitely not interested in drinking for his glory. And three, you're probably looking to alcohol for acceptance instead of God who, who, who alone can give it. And that's a slippery slope. It might not be that you necessarily have an alcohol problem. You just want to accept it somewhere else instead of getting it from God. And so that's the issue there. All right, well, what about uh, I call the, the gospel decision for you, man, don't drink. Man, listen to God's word over the culture. Let his word be the loudest voice in your life. All right, well, what about this person, the idolizer? The idolizer, man, this person loves cold beer. They're over 21. They might not drink and drive, but they definitely ain't going to bed without having a few cold pops. They're not going to hurt anyone. Therefore, they don't, they don't see a big deal about it. What's the big deal? Well, two problems. One is you can't go without it. And it's become an idol in your life, even if it's just three or four, but it's, man, every night, man, just that, hey, little glass of wine, every night, you can't go without it. All right, or, or you're willing to follow Jesus anywhere he wants you to go. I've had so many people get saved and be like, Pastor, man, man, I'll do anything. But if I, if I become a Christian, I got to quit drinking. 
Well, buddy, that's a pretty good sign that it's an idol in your life. And so they're willing to go anywhere as long as God, man, just don't take this. Don't take this. All right, and that's a problem. And, and if you can't stop, I know this doesn't sound popular, but if you can't stop, it is a problem. It probably, you are an alcoholic. Maybe not to the extreme, but it's an issue with God. And so the gospel decision, man, smash your idol. Get rid of it. Uh, be honest with yourself. Get help. Be honest with God. But you've got to be honest with yourself. Uh, uh, there's another one I call the party animal. This person don't drink much, man. They ain't going to drink much during the week. They ain't gonna, matter of fact, they don't even care about drinking. But when it's party time, it's hammer time. And they're going to be at the party, and, it, and it's, it's go time. And there's two problems. One, drunkenness is a sin. Two, the other problem is we're probably not reflecting Christ in that atmosphere as much as you think you are. And then you got clear alcoholics. Man, the gospel decision, get help. Go get treatment. Jesus is the answer. And so listen, that clears the table. That, all that is sinful, not because I said so, but the Bible says so. So we'll just clear the table. But you need to know there is another world out there of people that don't fall into that category. Like when you think alcohol, most of us in here, when we think about alcohol, we're, we think Georgia Southern keg stand competition. You know what I mean? Beer pong tournament. Frank's Country Club. Shake it like a salt shaker or whatever. Like that's what you think. I mean, just on the bullet Kerrigan's, just doing your thing. But there is a world out there. There are some people, man, that love Jesus Christ, and they would never want to fall into drunkenness. Matter of fact, it would break their heart. And they don't ever want to make a brother stumble. And they, they have nowhere even in their mind that they want to get drunk. And they love Jesus. And they love a grilled steak and a half a glass of wine. And they love a good theology book or the Bible and a cold craft cold beer, like a good dessert, like a cup of coffee. And they lay it down and they have no issues whatsoever. And I would tell you, if you look at them and say that that is sin, you're wrong. Unless they're a stumbling block. And by stumbling block, I don't mean they irritate your religious legalistic opinion. I mean if they actually make someone fall in sin or keep somebody from coming to Christ, but if they're not getting drunk, if they enjoy their freedoms the right way in the right place at the right time, you should not look down on that person. But if that's you, and I would say, that's not most of us in here. Like, you're like, get them, Blake. I ain't even talking to you. You're an idolizer. I, I'm talking about these specific people. There are a few. If that's you in here, I would remind you of this. One, remember where you live. God's called you to be a missionary right here where you are. And this ain't Spain. This ain't Italy. We live in a place where drinking is associated with a lifestyle. And you just got to be careful. You got to remember where you live. We live in America, South Georgia, praise God. Hunting, fishing, loving every day, bloody tombs. Here we are. This is where we're at. It's not the same. It's just not. You gotta be careful because we overindulge in everything. We're not a culture of moderation. We idolize alcohol, and there's a lot of people who used to struggle with this badly. 
and they might not know more, but you better be careful. And you can't say, well, that's their problem. Their problem becomes your problem when Jesus died for you on the cross and you belong to him and love God and love people. And you've got to be careful. And so listen, verse nine, be careful. Don't exercise your rights and be a stumbling block to the weak, but make gospel decisions. Is it the right place? Everything has a place. It ain't that you gotta hide anything. You just got to start thinking and making gospel decisions. You're not going to catch me behind Ruby Tuesday's salad bar popping Jaeger bombs. It's just not going to happen. Like, that's not smart. If Pastor Blake's at Velarte's with a margarita, it ain't smart. Am I free? Maybe. But it ain't smart. And you just got to be careful. Is it the right place? Is it the right motive? Why? What's the heart behind you wanting to drink? Is it because you got to cope or unwind? Because that's... That's different. Or, or, or is it stirring your affections for Jesus? And you're like, man, praise God, he's good. Praise God. Or, or will it make your neighbor stumble? And are you willing to say no for the sake of your brother? Are you even willing to? And I'm really passionate about freedoms. I'm passionate about it. I've been on both sides. I remember alcohol crushed me. It had me in chains, all right? And I was, all, I was the party animal and the idol. I fell in all the categories. And I, I know that. I've been there. But I've also been on the other side of this thing, saved in, in, in a very legalistic preaching church where it's like, don't cuss, don't drink, don't smoke. And it's like, bro, there's more than being a Christian than that. Like, the Bible don't teach that. And so I want to land in the middle on the gospel and say, you know what? I don't want that. They can have that life. I ain't doing it. I'm going to honor God in everything I do, but I don't want that either. I'm going to live by the gospel. you got to be careful. And I don't think Connection Church by Delia is struggling with their freedoms. I just really don't. I really think the question we need to ask is, one, are you willing to lay aside your rights for the sake of the gospel? And two, are you abusing God's grace under the title for his glory? And you got to be careful. So not just that, but what about this one? Is it okay for Christians to enjoy secular entertainment? Blake, do I got to delete my playlist? Can all I listen to is casting crowns? That sucks. Like, can I listen to anything else? Like, is that all? I mean, what about secular entertainment? The Bible don't say a whole lot. But the Bible does say the mouth speaks what the heart's full of. And we need to be careful what goes in because what goes in comes out. Garbage trucks don't dump out gold. And so you do need to be careful. And, and listen, like, what does the Spirit say? Because the Spirit will guide you in truth. And when I first got saved, I couldn't listen to secular music. I mean, I grew up on Gucci Man and Tupac. I, I, when I got saved, I was like, bro, I got to back off. I got to back up off this thing. I can't be doing this. So I was like, strictly gospel. I don't want none of that. But now, I mean, I'm eight years into this thing. I ain't listening to trash. But that don't bother me much anymore. Like, my wife loves Def Leppard. I don't even like Def Leppard. But she's got us going to a concert in June or July, going to see Def Leppard. So I don't even like it, but I'm going to be up in that thing. Like, whatever, whatever, girl. Like, we'll do what you want. We'll do it, girl. But I, I'm not about to abandon the faith. Oh, my God, Def Leppard. Like, I'm not going to, like, go out. I'm not going to denounce my faith. And so, like, you, man, just be smart. Be smart. And listen, are you starting to laugh at things God hates? Are you starting to enjoy things that... Uh. Oh, I might need to turn that off. I might not need to listen to that. 
because that's part of it too. But listen, make gospel decisions. Uh, what, what about this? How should a Christian dress? What's the dress code, man? I got saved. I was like, man, I got to wear khakis and a polo every day. And what I found is it's actually cool because Christians actually set the trend for a lot of fashion. Man, I love it. It's actually, man, it's actually very fashionable. And so, man, I, I, love, I love it. But, man, it's, it's, it is questions. What's the Bible say? It don't matter how you feel. It don't matter what I think. What's the Bible say? Here's the Bible. First Peter 3, 3 through 4, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, rather that of your inner self. Care more about your heart, man, because if your heart's right, your dress will be right. Oh, uh, Matthew 5, 28, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. There's an issue there. Proverbs 5, watch this. He literally gives a warning. Watch out for that seductive woman who lures you in by wanting attention on how she dresses. Man, that's what he's saying. And so, man, you got to understand our, that's what the Bible says. You got to understand our culture because we live in a seductive culture. I can't even go to Old Navy and buy swim trunks anymore, man. They, they cut them off right here. I got skinny legs, man. Like, I don't even got good thighs. Brandy ain't trying to see that at the beach. I just got, man, I can't even, can't even shop anymore. You know what I mean? But, but we live in a seductive culture. I remember we were on family vacation, me and the kids and Brandy, and we was down there. I was on a beach, man, and I had a, a book called, it was called, I got it, uh, Captivated by Christ. Captivated by Christ, baby. And I'm reading my book, and about that time, a bunch of college kids pulled up right there in front of me. Whole beach, bro, right there. They get out. I don't know if they had on bathing suits or band-aids. Like, they just, I'm like, man. And so I had to make a gospel decision, man. I just, I was like, I ain't, I got to, I'm captivated by Christ. I got to, I'm going to slide on that. And I moved. I just moved. And here's the thing, here's the deal. I ain't mad at them. They ain't even done nothing wrong. They're probably not saved. Why would I expect them to dress to my approval? I'm the one, the problem, not them. They're just doing their thing. And if I wasn't saved, I'd be with them right in that circle. So that's not the issue. I'm the issue. Says the issue. Wait, what's the issue? The issue is when that creeps into the church. And it's like, man, we're called to honor. Your body ain't your own. It was blood bought by Christ. And we're members of his body. Woo. And then... If you're married, she belongs to you. You belong to her. And so, man, I don't want to show people stuff that only my wife needs to see. I don't want her showing people things that only I deserve to see. And so that matters. It matters how you dress. And, man, men are, men are, men are bad too, bro. Y'all bad too. I ain't never seen so many men taking selfies in my life. Boy, y'all bad, man. I'm telling you. And some of us, man, we need to, like, for, it's, you're, you're stewarding everything. So, like, man, for some of us, we need to, care a little bit more like some of y'all man some of y'all man y'all need to buy some new clothes man you got holes in your t-shirt you know what you need to brush your hair take a bath you smell terrible like man you just got to care it's a stewardship thing man man you you don't want to be man you you want to dress does this get in the mirror and say god does this glorify you and do i reflect Christ right now i do I'll wear this then. And just be careful. Make gospel decisions. Don't play into other people's sin to get attention, okay? Be careful. What about church and politics? Well, the Bible don't say a whole lot. It says pray for your leaders, but here's what I would tell you. 
Politics are important. They are. They're really, really important. You should care. You should vote. You should, you should be all about it. That ain't what I'm saying. But what I am saying is politics may be important, but making disciples is more important. And Tony Evans says, man, a lot of us want to see change in the White House. We don't even want to change our own house. We want to see change in the White House. We don't even want to change the church house. And man, it's like, well, what kind of church are y'all? You left or right? We ain't left or right because Jesus ain't left or right God. He's a God of the universe. We're an up church. We're going to praise God. We're going to love people and make disciples. And when your politics start keeping you from making disciples of other people, that's when it becomes a problem. And so, man, church, I mean, make gospel decisions. Cast your vote. Pray for our nation. Make disciples. And smash the idol of fear that says, you know what? If so-and-so gets in the White House, we're going to be screwed. Well, maybe a little bit. I'm not saying it don't matter. But God's on the throne, yo. Why are you so scared? You got you to, gotta, man, smash that idol. Oh, what about this? Uh, is it okay for a Christian to smoke? Well, I guess that depends on what you're smoking. Is it illegal? I mean, look, the Bible doesn't say a lot, but your body is a temple, and you should steward your health. And I don't think it's necessarily a sin. It can be, but it probably definitely ain't smart. And you gather all the smokers, and y'all come on stage, and I hand you the mic. You're going to be like, yeah, don't smoke. You're going to tell people, man, don't smoke. It ain't worth it. Or if the doctors come up here, and be like, man, don't smoke. Don't do it. But some of y'all, y'all got to let up on the smokers, man. Y'all are too hard on the smokers. Like, you know, I, I came to Connection Church, Vidalia, and I saw people out front smoking cigarettes. Oh, really? Okay. Well, they were smoking meth three weeks ago. You know what I mean? I give them a break. and let them enjoy their cigarette. I mean, praise God, they're taking some steps. Man, be, be careful, man. Make gospel decisions. What about this? Is it okay for Christians to get tattoos? Just don't let grandma find out, okay? Don't, don't let her find out. You worry about God's wrath. You better be worried about your parents, all right? And, and here's the thing. It don't say a whole lot in the Old Testament. Yes, out of context. Ain't got time. But it, they'll make you regretful. Like, don't go get some flaming dragon up your leg just to do like, just be smart. But just because they'll make you regretful don't necessarily mean they'll make you sinful. I remember a lady, I got to hurry up. I remember a lady, she, I was talking to her about Jesus, and I remember my tattoo showed right here. And uh, she said, I see you got some battle wounds right there. And I was like, what? I got this last week. <laughs> what you talking about? This ain't, this ain't before Jesus. It's like, I just, this is new. You got to be careful, though, man. You got to make gospel decisions, for real, for real. And it could be a sin if it's done the wrong way. Is cussing a sin? Well, the Bible doesn't say. I'm pretty sure Paul says a cuss word in Philippians, like this is all dung. I mean, the, the Bible don't say a whole lot. But here's the, here's the deal. Here's what it does say. The mouth speaks what the heart's full of. And it might not be that letter or that word that's necessarily a sin, but it'll reveal sin in your heart. And watch this, uh, big brother James. With tongues we praise, and yet with it we curse. You better not worry so much about four-letter words and worry about how you're talking about people made in the image of God. That's what God cares about the most. And listen to me, what about, what about theological convictions? Where do we draw the line? We should be a church that loves God's word. Psalm 119, 
Your words taste sweeter than honey. And theology is important. And doctrine and the word is important because, listen, the heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. We need to cherish the word, but God's word should bring us together, not separate us. And Jesus said, make them one as we are one. But no Satan has a scheme to tear apart what Jesus brings together, and he'll use, he'll use the Bible to do it. And everyone's a theologian. Whether you want to be or not, everyone believes something. And so it's important. And man, we got different people that believe different things in this room right now. And we got some Calvinists in the room. Uh, they live in Romans 9 and Ephesians 1, baby. They, all they want to talk about is sovereignty of God and predestination. That's all they want to talk about. But then we got Armenians in the room. We got some people, all they want to talk about is free will and John 3.16, baby. They don't never get past that. But, and, and I cat out the bag. I lean a little more Calvinist. Cat out the bag. I, I, I lean a little bit more Reformed. But I'm not going to break fellowship with my brothers and sisters. They can be wrong if they want to be wrong. I love them. Man, we're still going to eat together. We're, we're still going to, man, it's, we're united in this thing. That's why, man, I'm telling you, man, I, that's why, and theology will make you a, a snob, man. You become puffed up. Don't love nobody. No, the whole Bible ain't made a disciple in your whole life. You got to be careful. But I love our church, man. We got Baptists in the house, and Baptists have strengths, man. Baptists, they love the mission of God. And this ain't all Baptists, but most of them, and they love the mission. But sometimes Baptists have tendencies to be very legalist, legalistic in their preaching, putting weights on you that don't even need to be on you. And then, man, we got some Methodists in the house. Love my Methodists. They're the ones with the expensive journals. You'll see them every once in a while. Love my Methodists. And they invented small groups, man. They invented them. John Wesley, man, invented them. And that's what we, our whole church is built on that. Man, I love the Methodists in the house. Got some, but sometimes they have methods over mission. Sometimes. Man, we got some Pentecostals in the house. You'll hear them down front during worship yelling. We got some Pentecostals. They're quick to pray. Quick to praise. But even some of them, I was talking to one this week, and they said, Blake, man, sometimes we put faith over in gifts more than we do faith in him. And sometimes we got the gifts over the mission, and we got some Presbyterians in the house. Y'all, my people, we got some Presbyterians. And man, they got great theology. I sit up under their teaching. I want them to teach me. They know the Bible, man. They're studs in the faith. They, there's a lot of good, but sometimes they have, they have theology over making disciples. And so, they, and they'll tell you that. And so, man, Connection Church, we're all about Jesus, and we're all about the gospel. And we got primary doctrines because theology is important. The Trinity, like you got you, you ain't a Christian if you don't believe this. And salvation and God's word is important. We're a theology loving church. We love it. But we got some secondary stuff too. Like if you don't agree with our view on baptism. They've been arguing about that for years. We're not going to fix it overnight. Or maybe you don't believe in the spiritual gifts. That's fine. We're not going to break fellowship. But what matters most is the gospel, and that's who we are. We're going to be Christ-centered. Christ-centered. How did Jesus live his life? He loved the word. He fulfilled the script. He fulfilled the law. He held tight God's word. But he held loose religious Pharisees. They called him a drunkard and a glutton and a sinner. And he wasn't none of those. But he might have had a drink. That's probably why they called him a drunkard. And he probably ate with sinners. He was the friend of sinners. 
And that's what we want to do. We want to obey God's word exactly like it is and not justify anything. And we want to hold tight that. But we want to hold loose religious, legalistic preaching, legalistic beliefs that say, you got to do this, do this, do this, and I ain't got nothing to do with Scripture. That's what we want to be. And so listen to me, Christ-centered, Bible-rooted. The Bible says it, that settles it, period. Bible-rooted, all about the Scriptures. And we want to be Holy Spirit-led. We want to be sensitive to God inside of us and practice his presence and obey and do what he says, listen to him and obey. We want to be Holy Spirit-led and we want to be mission-driven because theology without obedience is useless. We want to be a church that loves our neighbor, gospel above everything, gospel above freedom, gospel above politics, gospel above, above fashions. We want to be a church that's known for loving God and loving others and making disciples and we will rejoice in that alone and what God did for us. That's why 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3, those who think they know something don't know what they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Victories in Jesus, that's how you fight sin. That's how you love your wife. That's how you make disciples. That's how you make your decisions. Victory is in Christ and Christ alone. Listen to me. Has the gospel changed the way you make decisions? And if it hasn't changed the way you make decisions, it probably hasn't changed your heart. And the best decision that you can ever make is to give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Maybe you're in here. Maybe, maybe you have alcohol problems. Maybe you have some other problems. Maybe you're in here and man, you're just never put your faith in Jesus. And you know that Jesus died for you. And you know he wants a relationship with you. And you understand that. But maybe you've never put your faith in the work on the cross that he did for you. It's not that he died on a cross. It's that he died in your place. And there's nothing freer than being free. You're never going to use alcohol right. You're never going to dress right. You're never going to do anything right. Because that's not the problem. The problem is sin. And you were born with it. Christ can free you from that. Forgive you from that. And restore those things that you once did for Satan and yourself. And now you can start living for the glory of God. And if you're in here, all eyes closed. You say, Blake, I've never given my life to Jesus. And I want to get saved this morning. Will you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Praise God, praise God. Give you just a second. Is there anybody else? You say, today's the day. I want to give my life to Christ. Praise God. God's good. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for loving us. I thank you for your son. I thank you for the gospel that frees us. I thank you for the people in here that just put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. I pray for them. God, help us disciple them. Fill them with your spirit. God, we love you so much. In Christ's name we pray, amen.